Chapter 21 The Marriage Morning The Quest of the Silver Fleece by W. E. B. Du Bois Recorded by A. J. Hilton This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mrs. Vanderpool watched Zora as she came up the path beneath the oaks. She walks well, she observed and laying aside her book she waited with a marked curiosity. The girl's greeting was brief, almost curt, but unintentionally so, as one could easily see, for back in her eyes lurked an impatient hunger. She was not thinking of greetings. She murmured a quick word and stood straight and tall with her eyes squarely on the lady. In the depths of Mrs. Vanderpool's heart something strange, not new but very old, stirred. Before her stood this tall black girl, quietly returning her look mrs vanderpool had a most uncomfortable sense of being judged of being weighed and there arose within her an impulse of self-justification she smiled and said sweetly won't you sit but despite all this her mind seemed leaping backward a thousand years back to a simpler primal day when she herself white frail and fettered stood before the dusky magnificence of some bejeweled barbarian queen and sought to justify herself she shook off the fantasy and yet how well the girl stood it was not every one that could stand still and well please sit down she repeated with her softest charm not dreaming that outside the school white persons did not ask this girl to sit in their presence but even this did not move zora she sat down there was in her walking standing sitting a simple directness which mrs vanderpool sensed and met zora i need someone to help me to do my hair and serve my coffee and dress and take care of me the work will not be hard you can travel and see the world and live well would you like it but i do not know how to do all these things returned zora slowly she was thinking rapidly was this the way it sounded wonderful the world the great mysterious world that stretched beyond the swamp into which bless and the silver fleece had gone did it lead to the way but if she went there what would she see and do and would it be possible to become such a woman as miss smith pictured what is the world like asked zora mrs vanderpool smiled oh i meant great active cities and buildings myriads of people and wonderful sights yes but back of it all what is it really what does it look like heavens child don't ask really it isn't worth while peering back of things one is sure to be disappointed then what's the use of seeing the world why one must live and why not be happy answered mrs vanderpool amused baffled spurred for the time being from her chronic ennui are you happy retorted zora looking over her carefully from silken stockings to garden hat mrs vanderpool laid aside her little mockery and met the situation bravely no she replied simply her eyes grew old and tired involuntarily zora's hand crept out protectingly and lay a moment over the white jeweled fingers then quickly recovering herself she started hastily to withdraw it, but the woman's fingers closed around her darker ones, and Mrs. Vanderpool's eyes became dim. 
"'I need you, Zora,' she said, and then, seeing the half-formed question, "'Yes, and you need me. We need each other. In the world lies opportunity, and I will help you.' Zora rose abruptly, and Mrs. Vanderpool feared, with a tightening of heart, that she had lost this strangely alluring girl. "'I will come tomorrow,' said Zora. As Mrs. Vanderpool went in to lunch, reaction and lingering doubts came trooping back to replace the daintiest of trained experts with the most baffling semi-barbarian. Well, have you had a maid? asked Helen. I've engaged Zora, laughed Mrs. Vanderpool lightly, and now I'm wondering whether I have a jewel or a white elephant. Probably neither, remarked Harry Cresswell dryly, but he avoided the lady's inquiring eyes. Next morning, Zora came easily into Mrs. Vanderpool's life. There was little she knew of her duties, but little, too, that she could not learn with a deftness and divination almost startling. Her quietness, her quickness, her young strength were like a soothing balm to the tired woman of fashion, and within a week she had sunk back contentedly into Zora's strong arms. It's a jewel, she decided. With this verdict, the house agreed. The servants waited on Miss Zora gladly. The men scarcely saw her, and the ladies ran to her for help in all sorts. Harry Cresswell looked upon this transformation with an amused smile, but the colonel saw in it simply evidence of dangerous obstinacy in a black girl who hitherto had refused to work. Zora had been in the house but a week when a large express package was received from John Taylor. Its unwrapping brought a cry of pleasure from the ladies. There lay a bolt of silken-like cambric of wondrous fineness and luster, marked for the wedding dress. The explanation accompanied the package that Mary Taylor had a similar piece in the north. Helen and Harry said nothing of the cablegram to the Paris tailor, and Helen took no steps toward having the cambric dress made, not even when the wedding invitations appeared. A Cresswell married in cotton? Helen was almost in tears, lest the Paris gown be delayed and sure enough a cablegram came at last saying that there was little likelihood of the gown being ready by easter it would be shipped at the earliest convenience but it could hardly catch the necessary boat helen had a good cry and then came a wild rush to get john taylor's cloth ready still helen was querulous she decided that silk embroidery might embellish the skirt the dressmaker was in despair i haven't a single spare worker she declared helen was appealing to mrs vanderpool i can do it said zora who was in the room do you know how asked the dressmaker no but i want to know mrs vanderpool gave a satisfied nod show her she said the dressmaker was on the edge of rebellion zora sews beautifully added mrs vanderpool Thus the beautiful cloth came to Zora's room and was spread in a glossy cloud over her bed. She trembled at its beauty and felt a vague inner yearning, as if some subtle magic of the woven web was trying to tell her its story. She worked over it faithfully and lovingly in every spare hour and in long nights of dreaming. Willfully she departed from the set pattern and sewed into the cloth something of the beauty in her heart in new and intricate ways with soft shadowings and coverings she wove in that white veil her own strange soul and mrs vanderpool watched her curiously but in silence meantime all things were arranged for a double wedding at cresswell oaks as john and mary taylor had no suitable home 
they were to come down and the two brides to go forth from the Cresswell mansion. Accordingly, the tailors arrived a week before the wedding, and the home took on a festive air. Even Colonel Cresswell expanded under the genial influences, and while his head still protested, his heart was glad. He had to respect John Taylor's undoubted ability, and Mary Taylor was certainly lovely in spite of that assumption of cleverness of which the Colonel could not approve. Mary returned to the old scenes with mingled feelings, especially was she startled at seeing Zora a member of the household, and apparently high in favor. It brought back something of the old uneasiness and suspicion. All this she soon forgot under the cadence of Harry Cresswell's pleasant voice and the caressing touch of his arm. He seemed handsomer than ever, and he was, for sleep and temperance and the wooing of a woman had put a tinge in his marble face smooth the puffs beneath his eyes and given him a more distinguished bearing and a firmer hand and mary taylor was very happy so was her brother only differently he was making money he was planning to make more and he had something to pet which seemed to him extraordinarily precious and valuable taylor eagerly inquired after the cloth and followed the ladies to zora's room adjoining mrs vanderpool's to see it it lay uncut and shimmering covered with dim silken tracery of a delicacy and beauty which brought an exclamation to all lips that's what we can do with alabama cotton cried john taylor in triumph they turned to him incredulously but no buts about it these are the two bales you sent me woven with a silk wolf no one particularly noticed as zora had hastily left the room i had it done in easterly's new jersey mills according to an old plan of mine i'm going to make cloth like that right in this county some day and he chuckled gaily but zora was striding up and down the halls the blood surging in her ears after they were gone she came back and closed the doors she dropped on her knees and buried her face in the filmy folds of the silver fleece i knew it i knew it she whispered in mingled tears and joy it called and i did not understand it was her talisman new-found her love come back her stolen dream come true now she could face the world god had turned it straight again she would go into the world and find not love but the thing greater than love outside the door came voices the dressmaker's tones helen's soft drawl and mrs vanderpool's finished accents her face went suddenly gray the silver fleece was not hers it belonged she rose hastily the door opened and they came in the cutting must begin at once they all agreed is it ready zora inquired helen no zora quietly answered not quite but to-morrow morning early as soon as she was alone again she sat down and considered by and by while the family was at lunch she folded the silver fleece carefully and locked it in her new trunk she would hide it in the swamp during the afternoon she sent to town for oilcloth and bade the black carpenter at miss smith's make a cedar box tight and tarred in the morning she prepared mrs vanderpool's breakfast with unusual care she was sorry for mrs vanderpool and sorry for miss smith they would not they could not understand what would happen to her she did not know she did not care the silver fleece had returned to her soon it would be buried in the swamp whence it came she had no alternative she must keep it and wait she heard the dressmaker's voice and then her step upon the stair she heard the sound of harry cresswell's buggy and the scurrying at the front door 
On came the dressmaker's footsteps, then her door was unceremoniously burst open. Helen Cresswell stood there, radiant. The dressmaker, too, was wreathed in smiles. She carried a big red-sealed bundle. Zora! cried Helen in ecstasy. It's come! Zora regarded her coldly and stood at bay. The dressmaker was ripping and snipping, and soon there lay revealed before them the Paris gown. Helen was in raptures, but her conscience pricked her. She appealed to them. Ought I to tell? You see, Mary's gown will look miserably common beside it. The dressmaker was voluble. There was really nothing to tell. And besides, Helen was a Cresswell, and it was to be expected, and so forth. Helen pursed her lips and petulantly tapped the floor with her foot. But the other gown? Where is it? asked the dressmaker, looking about. It would make a pretty morning dress. But Helen had taken a sudden dislike to the thought of it. I don't want it, she declared. And besides, I haven't room for it in my trunks. Of a sudden, she leaned down and whispered to Zora. Zora, hide it and keep it if you want it. Come to the dressmaker. I'm dying to try this on now. Remember, Zora, not a word. And all this to Zora seemed no surprise. It was the way, and it was opening before her because the talisman lay in her trunk. So at last it came to Easter morning. The world was golden with jasmine and crimson with azalea. Down in the darker places gleamed the misty glory of the dogwood. New cotton shook, glimmered, and blossomed in the black fields. And over all the soft southern sun poured its awakening light of life. There was happiness and hope again in the cabins, and hope and, if not happiness, ambition in the mansions. Zora, almost forgetting the wedding, stood before the mirror. Laying aside her dress, she draped her shimmering cloth about her, dragging her hair down in a heavy mass over ears and neck until she seemed herself a bride. And as she stood there, awed with the mystical union of a dead love and a living, newborn self, there came drifting in at the window, faintly, the soft sound of far-off marriage music. "'Tis thy marriage morning shining in the sun." Two white and white-swathed brides were coming slowly down the great staircase of Cresswell Oaks, and two white and black-clothed bridegrooms awaited them. Either bridegroom looked gladly at the flow of his sister's garments, and almost darkly at his bride's, for Helen was decked in Parisian splendor, while Mary was gowned in the fleece. "'Tis thy marriage morning shining in the sun!' Up floated the song of the little dark-faced children, and Zora listened. End of chapter 21